Mob Talk with Talia Little. So before we begin today, I would like to acknowledge the lands on which I am meeting on, the Wurundjeri and the Boomerang people. And I would like to acknowledge the country that Bianca is recording on, which is Turrbal and Jagra. So today is a really special day that we're recording this podcast for. It's International Women's Day. So I'm going to give a little bit of background for this day. Uh, The first National Women's Day was held in New York City on 1908 and it was held on a Sunday so all working women could attend, which is pretty crazy. And then in 1975 was the year of International Women's Day when the United Nations General Assembly recognised March 8th as International Women's Day and now it is celebrated in over 100 countries. And although we have a day to celebrate and acknowledge all the beautiful women in our lives, we are still not equal in any shape or form. And I'm pretty tired. I'm pretty tired of arguing this point constantly, but I acknowledge that I'm lucky enough to have people that have come before me to do that, to pave the way for women to be where we are today. So this year's theme is choose to challenge. Now, as women, we are challenging everything every day we are challenging equality we are challenging um, our places in the workplace we are challenging um, stereotypes of us being at home and whatnot and I'm pretty tired but this year I am choosing to challenge myself so I am choosing to challenge myself to be the best I can be for myself I'm challenging myself to be a role model for my little sisters I'm challenging myself to be the best version of myself really and today on the podcast we have the lovely Bianca Hunt coming to talk to us about her views and thoughts. So welcome Bianca. Hi thanks for having me. No thank you for coming on it means a lot. So just to get started can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. So on my father's side I am Gamilaroi and Barkinji so New South Wales and Victoria Mob. And on my mother's side, I'm Baladang and Wadjuk. So that's actually from WA. Um, so they are both two different sides of the country, met in Alice um, in the heart of the country, super funny. Um, and then that's where they had my eldest sister as teenagers and then decided to make Brisbane, me and Jen, our home. So that's where I was born and raised. And I've got a younger brother as well. So I'm one of three Um all I've ever known is growing growing up in Brisbane, growing up as a Murray. So um, it's a very different sort of, um, I don't know, it's it's not uncommon, I suppose, to be, you know, obviously raised off country. But for me, this is a very safe um, space for me to be here. And I'm lucky enough to be um, in Brisbane at the moment um, because of, you know, just from all the moving I've done, um, being home has been um, really good, really refreshing. So I pretty much stayed here in about 21 um, when I finished uni. And then once I finished uni, I moved down to Sydney um, to Gadigal Country um, and then spent 2020 in Melbourne on Wurundjeri Bunrong Country. So, yeah, I've moved down there a little bit. Um that's kind of a little bit about my background um, in terms of, you know, mob. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I don't know, I'm just the, yeah, I, I don't know what sort of stuff that you want out of my introduction, I suppose. I'm 24 years old um, and I have a massive passion um, for creative 
industries. Um, and that's what I studied when I was at uni and management as well, because I wanted to have those different perspectives and I wanted to go into a new territory um, in terms of both my parents did health at university. They went as mature age students. And for me, you know, education was entrained in our family, um, like it is for most mob, you know, knowledge is power and being able to have that, no one can take that away from us. You know, when you're educated, no one can take that from you. So yeah, I went into a new field, new new space. My parents are still understanding what it means to be in this creative space, which is funny. It's very different to health. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. Well, thank you for sharing that, Bianca. That's really awesome. What were your family doing in Alice Springs? Um, well, I believe my parents' parents um, had driven them to Alice. So it was a weird timing. They met kind of um, at school, I think it was, um, for what school they kind of did. I think they only went to around grade, I think dad went to about grade 10, mum went to around grade 11. Um so, yeah, they met in Alice, don't know, um, other than family just relocating, essentially. That's really yeah. cool. I'm from Alice, so that's yeah, what I was asking because I'm R&I yeah, in yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Um, so do you feel like you got a lot of this drive from your parents? Like did you – did they pass that down? Yeah, Um well, so my father is the first in our family to have gotten a higher education. Um, I suppose, obviously – I mean, dad's only 52 or 53, so he's quite young. Um, And I suppose when he was going through a lot of the time, education wasn't really a massive push, Um, you know, getting to through primary school, let alone high school um, was challenging. So obviously they didn't graduate from grade 12. My sister was the first um, in our family to graduate from year 12. And so I suppose when the year I was born was the year dad went to uni. He decided to go to uni and that was a massive adjustment. Um, like, you know, I still, you know, hear the stories of what happened, you know, even the first day coming back from uni, he had come home, sat at the computer, typed up, um, like a sentence. It was a question that they had been given to answer and come back the next day, um, with what they had answered. And he kind of was just like, sitting there staring at the screen after he typed it and started to kind of faint um, because it was that overwhelming. He was like, I've not had these conversations before. You know, I've not been in this environment where all of these people are expecting this higher level knowledge. It's not like he didn't have it, but he had to develop that and grow through that. And I think to me, if I didn't see that growing up, um, you know, the university was like a playground to me, which is unique, not even for, you know, me as a black fella, but unique for anyone, I think in general, you know, like I have a lot of non-Indigenous friends who their parents didn't go to university, you know, and they were the first in their family as well. Um, so for me, it was very unique growing up with two Aboriginal parents who had both gone to university when I was young, um, you know, growing up and then, yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for them, I definitely wouldn't have been looking at, you know, higher education as a pathway because the teachers I had didn't believe I could do it either. So, um, you know, if I wasn't going home and saying, hey, mum, dad, these people are telling me I can't do this, you know, and then having my parents be able to say to me, you can do whatever you want to do um, and we believe in you and we support you to do that. If I didn't have that, I think it'd be a very different story. 
Yeah. And that comes from you as well, that self-determination of if you want to put me down, that's not going to happen. I'm going to strive like I'm an Aboriginal woman and I'm going to take this on and I'm going to do what I want to do. So that's really cool. So your mum, has she been a big influence on you of how you've gone into this media world or the way you see yourself today? It's interesting. I think if it wasn't for my mum, I wouldn't be as strong as I am. So I think definitely the Noongar side of me, that's a lot of strength that comes in from the West Coast. Um, So I'm very proud of that. And I have seen my mum you know, both, as I said, both my parents were very young. My mum had my sister um, a week after she turned 17. And so for her, she was growing up to be a young woman whilst raising, you know, a young girl um, and having to grow that and learn how to do all of that at the same time, you know, as my dad becoming a young man, trying to raise a little girl like that in itself was quite interesting, um, I think, for them. And they learned a lot until I came along, I think, um, and still learning, I think, now too. But for me, media, this sort of being on a screen, being in any capacity seen was not at all um, the direction I believed I was going to go into because, as you would know, growing up, did we have any, you know, many um, women that we could see that were looked like us, you know, spoke like us, um, were in spaces that we are in, that was very rare growing up. So there's no way I would sit there and turn on the television and think I can be that white woman standing on in, um, you know, on that screen um, or that white voice that I hear on the radio. Like I would never, ever um, imagine that. But I think because I have had, you know, a strong sister, she's about, she's 32, so she's a decent amount older than me, and my mother, because of that and them showing me that I can do whatever I want to do, you know, um, and just to be strong in myself and it's a very big thing in my family to know who you are, to know where you're going, and I think that's quite common. Um, And I've just been lucky enough to be able to be raised in an environment that fostered that Um, because I'm also conscious of the fact that a lot of our mob and non-mob haven't grown up in that environment. So, yeah, I think I wouldn't say mum showed me the direction of going into media, but I think she challenged me enough um, and vice versa for me to be strong enough to be that person in our family, to be a little bit more in the... um, not public eye, but like in the space of getting our story out there, getting my story out there, being seen, I think. Um, I chose, you know, a little a little while ago not to be the one that would just consciously try not to be seen in spaces because I'm like, I think we can kind of, we can, I don't know, my mum, my mum, the way that she is, she's very, um, she's hard-headed, she's very strong, but she also is a very quiet achiever. She's a very, I won't talk about a lot of the things that she does and achieves and stuff like that. So I think I'm like the kind of the opposite where I get to do those things. I get to be in those spaces mm-hmm. to speak yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, you have to be hard-headed and you have to be strong being in media as a black woman. Like it's pretty awesome to see now that we have a footy show with a, you're, you're one of the only women, um, black women sport commentators. Is that right? Well, not I a think, sport comment. Well, I think there's um, 
a few. It's like a, a bit of a mix and we're all kind of scattered. Um, I'm aware, of course, with Shelley Ware being um, on Mung Brook before Yokai had come along. Um, and I'm pretty sure there's a new one coming through as well, which is super exciting. But it is a space that not many of us have been in. So that's challenging. That was a very challenging year, 2020, um, being in that space, yeah. So I want to know, did you receive, you know, I was looking on your, I think it was your Twitter last night, and I was looking at the statement you'd made around media accountability towards Sam Newman. Um, Can you talk a bit about that and how that, one, came about and, two, the backlash, good or bad, that you got from that because that was a really powerful statement made by a black fella that is a woman like wow yeah so um I suppose coming into when when I was announced um with Yokai there was a lot of questions going on you know um does she even play AFL you know how does she even get here that sort of stuff um on record, yes, I played AFL, played five seasons. Um, I've grown up in an AFL-loving family. So for me, this was just that it's a passion, you know. I loved it. So I could sit there and genuinely know that I was in that space because I wanted to uplift our fellow Blackfellas that are in one of the best sports in the country, and I still believe that. But as the season kind of started, that's how I was. Everyone was excited about the football players, which is what they should be excited about. I was just a catalyst for their storytelling. Um, but it's funny because it started to shift across the season. It started to shift of that people were messaging me. They were um, excited to see someone like me on the screen and were happy for my voice to come in there because when I was offered the role after auditioning, that was the biggest question I had to me was, can I handle the criticism, whether it be good or bad, that's about to come my way? Because I'm going into a space that is very white male dominated. Um, You know, it's an industry that doesn't have a lot of women in general, let alone a black woman. So am I going to be able to handle that? And I was kind of made the decision, if I'm going to be in media for a year or for the rest of my life, I want to know that I'm making an impact and I want to make sure that I'm making my community proud because that's what mattered most to me. And if I had an opportunity to make a statement, I would do it. And that was the one to make. It was yes. really powerful. If anyone on this podcast hasn't listened to it, look it up. It's seriously, it's so powerful. Your words are so direct and they make an impact like you were saying. And for to see as a young Aboriginal woman myself, to see a, another young Aboriginal woman making a statement honestly with no fear in your eyes at all, that's hard for anyone to make, let alone you. So that was really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I um I gained a decent amount of respect out of it, which I was very interested because I turned off my socials when um it went out. I didn't want to see anything. Um I just thought my best mates will come to me with anything positive that comes out of here. You know, um, I also had people looking over it just for safety, making sure that no one is saying anything that's detrimental um or anything. But for me, that statement. It was beautiful. It was a team that worked on it. Like the Yokai team worked on making that a thing. And I was so glad that I was the one that got to address it um, because it's something that was close to my heart. It was also something that I was like, yeah, good. This is the statement we need to make. Um, But also it was 
it's difficult because you can control certain things. You can control up to a certain point. I could control not seeing, like not going onto websites. I could control not reading about me, but I couldn't control the comments that would come on my social media. Um, and I only received one notice, notif- um, notable um commentary that had come onto one of my um, photos on Instagram. And that to me, I thought this is their issue, you know, blah, 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 projection and everything like that. And, um, you know, this shouldn't affect me. But at the end of the day, this person was sexist, um, racist and ageist as well. It was a lot going on in this small post. What a horrible life to live being like that. It was, it was scary. Like seeing that was a lot because I was sitting there thinking, oh, I'm that scared little girl again, you know, the one that was scared to stand up, you know, even though I would do it, I was still scared because of, you know, the fear of being called something or, or even the fear of having someone believe that I was in the position I was in because of what I was as a woman. And I think that to me yeah, that, that got my integrity. It hit me hard. Um, and it was, it was a nobody, like it was literally, it was a troll. Like it was someone that couldn't name themselves. Um, and I made the decision not to call them out because I didn't want to take on that emotional toll. I didn't want to have to go through that. And just not giving them the time of day because a lot of those trolls just comment because they think it's funny or they want a reaction. And if you give them that reaction, it just, it fuels them. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm just going to block you out. I've made a statement. It's powerful. I'm a black woman making that statement and I'm going to be proud of myself. And I can guarantee anyone that sees that will just think, wow. And one thing to notice, um, if anyone does look at it and see any of the articles, is still how I'm positioned as a black woman making a statement that is powerful. I still look angry. So really? So you're still portrayed as angry? Yes. The photos that are up, I still look like I'm angry because this has happened before in media where I, there's been a, a clip of me taken and it looks like I'm angry. Um, there's a difference between angry and assertive. There's a difference you know, um, between someone standing up, you know, why do we always have to be angry just because we're telling someone straight? Like, I don't understand. And women, Um, especially, you know, I was right. When I was thinking about what I wanted to say today, I was thinking we are told we can be equal by a lot of people. We can stand up and whatnot, but when we do, we're demanding, we are just out of control. We're all of these different words, but it's like, how are we meant to stand up when we're just called angry like you or demanding and whatnot. So it's, yeah, it's crazy. And we've just got to take a stand, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So as a woman in the media, what are the main challenges you faced? Um, well, a big one was, um, I have the blessing of looking very young. Um, and I am young, like 24, that's, that's not old. Um, I'm a young woman. And that does not set aside the fact that I'm not an educated woman, that I haven't worked for the space that I've been working since I've been 14 years old. I don't have to justify anything, you know. Um, I know when I was taking, when I take up space, I know I'm the right person to be taking up that space. I made a conscious decision. I go through every single 
opportunity that someone offers me and I sit there and I'm like, am I genuinely the right person for this? The amount of opportunities that I knock off because I'm not the right person and I say, I'm not the right person, but I know the right person for this, you know, or I, I can give you some options of other people who are have a background in that or, or whatever because a very common thing that happens in media and happens when people are wanting to bring guests on and the year of BLM, when those things were happening, they were turning to the people that had some form of a profile that had some presence within this space already, regardless if they had a background in what these people were getting them on board to talk about, you know, when you go on to talk shows, um, like you know panel shows and stuff like that when they've got topics just because we're Aboriginal doesn't mean we're the right person to be speaking about this and I think that's something that I have always filtered through and that I um, accept people challenging me on and accept people coming and and talking to me about it because if I am taking up that space I want to know that I'm the right person and I want to sit there feeling comfortable with it so I don't have to feel like I have to justify why I'm the right person in there because when I was getting this criticism as much as you know um, I would still refer to my playing days and everything like that I was still comfortable enough in myself that I knew when this criticism was coming my way that I could stand strong knowing that I was still, again, the right person to be there. And the only time that I allowed or didn't allow but that I did take something on personally is when it was those sort of comments that were just outrageous like they were not appropriate and I'm just sitting there and I'm like you're demeaning me to these words you know you're projecting these things onto me I've worked hard to be where I am um and I think that was a very big one because early on um it was oh who's this young one coming through here you know does she even know anything and all that sort of stuff and and yeah um that was very challenging but you know you I I believe I showed myself um, in my best interest last year um, and the people that are on the journey with me I'm so grateful for but they're here and they're you know we all we're going to make mistakes no matter what you know like whether we're young old and in between so it's just like let us have our shot you know and let me show you that I can do this you know don't assume I can't do it um, so that that was probably one of the biggest ones is being young um being black was just in general, you know, you just, I knew that was just going to be a thing. Being a coloured face on a screen, that was going to be a thing. Uh, but luckily I was in a safe environment um, within a black production that I didn't get that from my crew. I didn't get that from anyone that was working in the Because it's just not tolerated. It was all external, external. So, um, which I'm very blessed that that was the case um, because I know there is, you know, other coloured people, um, especially First Nations, that haven't had the same experience from their crew, um, yeah, in teams. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Here at VACA, so we're the Victorian Aboriginal Child Care Agency, so I don't know if you know yeah, VACA. I'm yeah, you know VACA. Yeah, yeah. So working since <clears throat> I was probably like 17, nearly 18, I've been working here and it's almost like I take for granted the amount of support we have in an Aboriginal environment, whereas you go to another uh, white-dominated environment and you realise how much more um, controversy there is in terms of race, being a woman and all of that, whereas when you put a black fella into a black environment, just like you, they thrive because you don't have that constant – I mean, you probably get – a little bit of hate and whatnot for your being a woman and being black on social media, but actually in your production, 
it's not really seen because it's just not tolerated. And I feel like the day that we can go out into a non-dominated blackfella environment and it be completely not tolerable to behave in that kind of way will be such a great day. And we've got people like you and, and powerful women in the media that are paving the way for us. So it's really great. Um, so this year's theme, Choose to Challenge. Now I'm going to ask you what's your perspective on this theme? Do you like it? Do you not? What are you choosing to challenge? It's interesting um, because Choose to Challenge it's so interesting. I don't know because I, I think my thoughts on it is when aren't we challenging? Like you've hit the money. Yep. Don't you reckon? Because I, yeah, I, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you, but I completely agree. I was having a conversation with my auntie Beck the other day and we were saying, gosh, can't women just be like, can we have one day where we can just celebrate us for being deadly and just be like constantly every day we are challenging something. And it's like, let's just be women and acknowledge and celebrate who we are. Like the other year for NADOC, um, we did because of her, we can. And I think that is so special. Like, and I'm not hating. I think the theme is quite good because we can uh, twist it in whatever way we want me being challenging myself. But do you know? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, Absolutely. No, mm. 100%. I think um, there's not I, – I wish and I hope for a day that we don't have to challenge and justify ourselves as women um, being in these spaces, you know, going into these places and stuff like that, not being treated as different because of our gender, you know. Um, hopefully that will happen in our lifetime. But at the end of the day, this has been happening before us, you know, wipe me out right now the like life that we're in right now and I just think there would be it would be so nice just to be able to walk in and not have to be identified as that or like I made it a very big point a lot of the time to want to be in positions regardless of my ethnicity regardless of my gender you know regardless of my age but because I was the right person you know um and I think I think it's not it's still it's still a good theme because it allows people to challenge their own mindset on challenging women and I think the people that will be sitting there and thinking and reflecting and hearing from the beautiful women that are going to be speaking over the next couple of weeks about this topic I really do think people are going to hear that and hopefully kind of um, challenge their own perceptions of what it means to choose to challenge Um, but at the same time it would just be so nice to not have to always be someone that has to be at that every single day just for you know and we're already doing that as black fellas you know we're all we're always educating or advocating and I feel sometimes I feel a bit privileged saying that because I think oh look at my ancestors like they fought so much for us and I'm over here like I don't want to advocate but some it's just tiring Mm -hmm. like and it's tiring being that woman who's always you know angry in the media or demanding or being a diva when you know what like like Beyonce said diva is a female version of a hustler I'm just gonna say that right there you know (laughs) and we do run the world on the way here today I was like what do I want to say and I was like no women this world would not be the same without women you know absolutely so it's time we start getting some value (laughs) yeah speaking of um speaking of value who are three women in your life that have been influential to you I know I said influential before but 
three women that are particularly special in your life? Three. Oh my god. Well, one, two, three, ten, doesn't matter. Who am I going to choose? Um, well, I think I think it's funny, and I think I'm going to choose to challenge this, right? I think it is very common for us to um look up to people that we don't even know um because of what they have done in history society all that sort of stuff right and so I think it's quite common for a lot of people to say I'm inspired by Michelle Obama or you know I'm inspired by Beyonce um or Lizzo and don't get me wrong. I'm inspired by all those women. They have all made some incredible, you know, um, steps forward for us. However, I choose to acknowledge the people that, uh, have been with me for my journeys in, you know, and personally, they are one degree away from me. It's not a couple. It's just my close knit people. Um, so obviously like my mum and my sister are in that category. Um, of course, um, because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be challenging a lot of things. I wouldn't have grown as strong as I am. I wouldn't be where I'm at, but also I can't not acknowledge my clothes to the girls that I have around me. Like we all met pretty much around uni, um, uni days, you know, and from all different kind of walks of life. I'm, I'm very privileged to say that almost every single one of my close friends are first nations women. And that to me is a privilege, like to be able to grow and learn and develop alongside some incredibly strong, intelligent black women. That is to me, that's the, all the inspiration I need. They're the ones that I can talk to that have similar experiences to me. We can go through, we go through similar things, but we're also a hearing, you know, sort of aid for each other. Um, so I can't not acknowledge them and there's so many of them, but for me, and they're the people that, that if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be in the spaces that I'm in. I wouldn't be as strong as I am. They're all around the same age as me, if not a little bit older, a little bit younger. So between 20, 30 years old. Um, and I have, you know, one very close non-Indigenous um, girlfriend. She is amazing as well. We've been friends since high school and I can't not acknowledge her because she's been there for a long time. Um, but yeah, those women, there's too many of them to name. Um, but yeah, if it wasn't for them and they know who they are, if they were listening to this, they know that I'd be paying that homage to them. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. I tend to go for people that are closer to me than, um, yeah, out there. Yeah. I agree. Like I, for me, three women that are special to me would be my Nana Bess, my great Nana Bess. Like you said before, knowledge is power. And she's, we actually don't know how old she is. I think she's 93 and she's the oldest of her Lurita tribe in Alice Springs. Yep. Yeah. She's, she's an amazing woman. Um, And to grow up with someone like that, like you said, people special to you, they, the people that are closest to you support you and want you to thrive, that unconditional love, which leads me on to my second person, which is my my grandmother, not my great-grandma, um, for her constant support and unconditional love, and then my mum, which, you know, you're close to your mum and she's so kind and just such a role model. Um, so it's interesting to hear you say the same thing as me is that 
it's, you know, we love Beyonce, we love Lizzo, Michelle Obama preach, but like, you know, it's looking to those women beside you, the everyday women to count on and that support you. It's, it's crazy when you actually look to your left or your right and you see these are the women that are supporting me and loving me and wanting me to grow. And mm-hmm. that's when you do your best. And me and you are just so lucky, like you especially, having nearly all First Nations girlfriends, like that's unheard of. Yeah. No, honestly, like I was reflecting on it the other week and I was just like, oh, my God, how is this even possible? Like how, like I've been so, I don't know what it is. Um, I feel like I have always put out the vibe to attract women that will always uplift me and vice versa. Like I always want to be an addition to a friend's life I don't want to have to be the one that's taking all the time like I want to make sure that when I'm in those you know we're we all sacred beings you know like and these spaces that we're allowing other people to have access to we want to make sure it's not draining us all the time as well and and yeah for me like I remember it happening at my 21st um where if I was to say like you know there'd probably be like 50 60 people in there if I was to say you know if everyone in this room could put their hand up who are First Nations, there'd probably be two people that had their feet, their hands down. And if I said, you know, can I get your hands up of, you know, everyone who has a higher education, probably only two people would have taken their hands down again. So that would have been almost a room full of 50 educated black people that were in I was in presence of, you know, and that to me, like, and don't get me wrong, having higher education, that's a Western system. You know, that to me was just putting it on my back. I have it. No one can take it away from me. I can walk into your little white world, but I'm going to come in here and I'm going to hold space as a black woman and know I'm going to challenge your mindset. So I don't think having a higher education justifies your success by any means, but for me being in that space and having access to those people because I chose to go into our higher education is why I have access to those incredibly beautiful women that challenge me on an everyday basis, but also support me. And, uh, you know, we share each other's strengths with each other. You know, when one's down, we pass it on to the next, like, that's just how we are. No one challenges, no one competes because that's a very common thing. We have been put into a space, especially when it comes to like media, you get put into a space where you are competing with a fellow female um, or a fellow black fella. That's not how we are. You know, that's not how our world should work. We are here to open the door, keep that door open and have a whole big space for all of us to stand on the same platform. Like that's just how it is. Yeah. And if you're the right person for the job, there's no competing. Like you said, and having that education knowledge is power is, is so big. Like you can't, you can't take that away from us. And that was installed by my great grandfather who was made to work for the white man and and a lot of those um, powerful stories that obviously is his story so I won't go into that but Mm. he was always instilled into us that we will never be less than and we will take that education on and we will take that white world on and it's you know we don't have to be put into a pigeonhole black fellas don't anymore that was 20 years ago like let's step out into the world and combine like let's let's go through the white world and you know celebrate who we are which is really awesome that you're doing that and as a young aboriginal woman and a lot of young aboriginal women that women that we work for you're a role model 
like literally yesterday when I was watching that statement, I know I've said it five times, but it was just like, <laughs> wow, you know, Thank that's you. really cool. Um, so in the workplace, in mm-hmm. your workplace, do you feel like women rise each other up, empower each other, or is it kind of um, the other way? Because I, in, in, as as a young woman, I see a lot of you know, as growing up as a teenager, a lot of girls are calling each other nasty names mm-hmm. and tear each other down because someone's prettier or smarter. Do you see that in your field? Um, well, to be honest, I so when I was working on the show, I you know, I was there for, I was in Melbourne and lockdown. So in reality, I didn't really have access to a lot of people that I would have been working with. Um, so the environment itself, I didn't really, um, I wasn't fully embedded to a point where I could see that happening in the workplace. Um, when I was there, but I have been in workplaces where that has been an issue. So me being the boppy, young, happy, you know, um, person that comes through that's, you know, half the age of my peers um, in the spaces that, you know, they worked for 20 years to be in um, where I'm kind of walking into it only a few years into my career. Um, to me, I felt that glare. I felt that look of is this young woman who's just walked out of uni and done all these things, is she about to take my job? Is she a threat to me? Um, and I got that from older women. So not, not black women. This wasn't, this was um, non, non first nations women. Um, but I felt that at almost every day I was working in walking into some workplaces and a very big reason as to why I left those workplaces. Like this is my fourth year out of university and I've changed jobs almost every year. Um, And I think that to me is because I was like, I'm not going to have to walk in here and prove to you every single day that I'm the right person to be here. And it's exhausting. Like you said, it's exhausting having to always show up in that capacity you know and you kind of just sit there and you're like what day am I going to be able to just walk in here and you're just going to be okay with me being in this space but to a lot of people it's like I hadn't earned those stripes because we also have to acknowledge the difference in the generation and the difference in the workplace style because a lot of people that potentially could be in these industries have been in that space for my lifetime so them getting into those places they've worked their way up through the ranks and done it slowly through that sort of period of time and built that skill set over the time Um, and might not have a formal education from back then, right? So now that that has shifted, um, it's not like I cut any corners getting a degree, getting two degrees, like that's not easy. Um, You know, that, that was challenging, that was hard, but it taught me a lot of things that you would be, learning within the workplace do you know what I mean like how to analyze how to critically think how to problem solve all of that sort of stuff that they would have been doing earlier in their career and I think that to them was confronting potentially but I found it really difficult to actually deal with that and to have to sit there and constantly feel like 
no one was paying attention to me or listening to me because I was the young woman in the room. Um, and it didn't even have anything to do with my being black. That was the thing. I was like, oh, if anyone's going to pick something, surely it's going to be that. No, it was because I was a young woman coming in there and I was educated and I wanted to make change and I wanted to do the better, like for, for everything. And I'd put my career first, you know, like, um, some of the people I was working with didn't get into their careers until they were 25, 26. I've already done that. You know, I'm already starting that. Um, so I think I can understand in a way, and I know that's a really hard thing, but at the same time, there has been times where I've just been like, okay, if I was in their shoes, what would they be seeing right now? And, and it's not going to justify the bad behaviour that I've had experienced from people putting me in that box. Um, but it's also something that I wasn't going to stand for. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm not the young woman that needs to be in this space, then I'm not going to be in this space. And, um, yeah, I don't know if that, Wow. Yeah. No, it does. <laughs> Knowing when to leave is such a powerful thing too because that would have been really scary to go, okay, well, if this isn't right, then it's not right and it doesn't yeah. feel right for me. So yeah. is that when you went to Yoka? Yes. Okay, so how did how did that happen? How did you get chosen for Yoka? So I was called in an audition um, and just as a um, headline, I, I'm not on the show this season. Okay, um, yeah. Not for any of those reasons, um, but the – pretty much what had happened was I was um, sent an email for an audition um, by, through the AFL um, and, you know, two weeks later I was on a plane going down auditioning to be on a television show. Like, honestly, it is an incredibly unique, very weird, um, there was a lot of impos- imposter syndrome that was going on in my head for a decent amount of time because I was sitting there being like, oh, my God, I have mates who have, literally known since they were little, I want to be on TV. I want to be this, you know, and they knew ever since then. Whereas I didn't, you know, um, it wasn't until I was auditioning that I, you know, or even before it, and I was getting super excited about this and like freaking out and then sitting there thinking, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I might not be on this show. I might be on this show, but either way, I've got an opportunity to audition for a television show. How weird is that? Like, that's just, nothing I would ever have thought of or imagined. And I remember walking into the head office of the AFL for the first time. And I was like, like my eyes lit up like a little child, um, everything sparkled, <laughs> you know, and I was just yeah. like, I want to be here so bad. Um, and, you know, I went through the audition. I know they had, you know, a, a fair few beautiful black women that were auditioning um, and was lucky enough to be called to, come onto the show and you know I had not had really much of a media background before that I'd worked for an organization like I'd worked for SBS um that was the first media job I had worked in every job before that had either been in corporate Australia or within NGOs um and so yeah like I had only done probably one or two gigs for television before that um mostly as a guest um, and I had done a, um, like I was lucky enough to be one of the hosts for the NADOC Awards, um, you know, and supported that in 2019. Um, so, yeah, after the audition, it was a pretty quick kind of process. It was, okay, we need to get you into promos. We need to get you, you know, moving, like I was moving down to Melbourne for it. Um, had We had our launch party a week before 
lockdown happened. So we had all these big mob in here, like we're all having a good time. <laughs> and then, you know, the day we were meant to be filming for our first show was when no one was allowed um, in the studios um, and lockdown had begun. So. Wow. So yeah. you spent your first year in Melbourne, best city in Australia, just going to say that right now, um, in lockdown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, so that I sucks. I'm very off Melbourne um, right now. Um, it's It was honestly, it was a lot of trauma um, to have to go through during that period of time. And I'm just blessed that I've been able to come off the back of it Um not fully healed. We can never fully heal. We're healing always. Um, but now it's, I don't sit there and I'm not super negative about the place or anything like that. Um, but in, at the end of the day, it just wasn't the city for me anyway. Um, I'd been there, like I love visiting the place, um, but being a Queenslander by heart, it was just very different, very different environment, you know, um, but yeah, pretty much the 200 or something days in lockdown only went into the (sighs) office once or twice a week. Um, yeah, no family friends. That was fun. Um, so you were alone. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I lived by myself, um, and I was lucky enough to be able to stay with my, um, the executive producer on Yokai. She was a fellow, um, black woman, but she was also a Noongar woman from WA and she had relocated um, to Melbourne as well. So we stayed together for a fair bit of that time just so we had company. Um, yeah. I can't even yeah. Ima- I can't even begin to imagine. I'm lucky enough to uh, live on the Mornington Peninsula where we, we have a lot of not freedom but space. Mm. So it wasn't locked in a place in the city and I was with my family and even then it was hard. I couldn't even couldn't imagine how. You've just moved to a new city and Melbourne has so much good stuff to offer and you couldn't even experience it. No, yeah. That was the thing. Like that was my yeah. my biggest thing. Working for the AFL didn't even get to go to the MCG to watch a footy match, you know, and that was something that I've wanted to do since I was little. Um, I and went there um, though. Yeah, I it's amazing there. I did go there and mm-hmm. I got to help film for the Hall of Fame. So I did meet some of the football players that were massive when I was little. Um, I didn't tell them that so that they could tell their age, but um, <laughs> that was pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, that would have been. Oh, my yeah. gosh. No, that's a really cool experience. I'm really sorry that you had to go through that in Melbourne. I, there's just so much trauma that everyone's kind of um, developed and anxiety against COVID now, you know, when we went into that five-day lockdown recently, it was like, oh, are we going to have to go into another three-month, four-month, yeah. six-month lockdown for this one thing? So I'm really happy that's not uh, happening anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really good. Um, what's next for you, Bianca? Like are you – now you're not doing Yokai, are you going to be doing another show, media, not media? That's a good question. Um, I am – I think I'm just trying to be as open as I can be to what is for my highest good, I think, at the moment because, weirdly enough, opportunities have come into my pathway to obviously teach me a lesson, to show me something that um, I might be missing or whatever. Ever since I was little, I knew that performance and all of that was a massive passion of mine and I feel like I untrained myself out of that. I I wanted to be more serious or, you know, I chose to do a business degree alongside my creative industries degree because I knew at the end of the day going in all in on creative industries would probably leave me broke without jobs constantly. And 
in a very unstable environment. So me getting my business degree was, this is my safety, you know, and everything. But I also believe that it did stop me from being as creative as I could be. So right now, you know, I've, I've done some cool different things. Like after Yokai, like I got to work on another show um, that was, it was a kids one put on um, seven plus, like it was a fitness sort of one. It was with AFL still and everything. And that was fun and different. And just recently I was working on um, the Yellamundi festival um, and, you know, got to see kind of how theater works because that is completely different to television as well. So I think now it's um, what are the, I'm never going to do one thing. So um yeah, so there's definitely like some exciting out. things coming up, which I'm not allowed to talk about. But um, yeah, I think I'm 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 currently in Brizzy, probably going to look at going back to Sydney at some point in time. Um, but yeah, I I really hope that media and television and everything doesn't go off my radar anytime yeah. soon. Do you feel like Sydney is where it's at for media? Like, is that where a lot of people fly down to go and I work? I would say people? so. Um, I would say it's quite common. A lot of the jobs um, are based there and I think it's because a lot of the production um, and the broadcasters are there. Um, like, for instance, I know a lot of their reality shows get filmed in Sydney or in Melbourne. Um, so I feel like if you kind of want to be embedded into that sort of space, you you do kind of have to be um, in that environment, either Sydney or Melbourne, because that's where it tends to be a lot bigger. Um, Brisbane, it's very difficult um, to get into that space. What is your message for young Aboriginal women these days? Looking up to you or wanting to get into this field or just generally, what is something that you can put out to our youth? Um, I say this in the nicest way. Don't idolise people to the point where you want to be them and I think it is so exciting like seeing all of our beautiful black faces that are out there these days it is amazing um but we're ourselves you know I'm Bianca for a reason you know and the things that I've chosen to do along my career may or may not be the right way that you know someone else or a path that they want to be in and just because I've done it this way um, it was a massive zigzag. It's never a ladder. You know, you've always got to go here, there and everywhere to get to your end goal. But, you know, find inspiration and spark inspiration from those people that um, you find inspiring. But, yeah, don't idolise them to the point that you want to be them. Um, you're your own self for a reason. And I think the biggest thing as well is absolutely get to know yourself get to know yourself get to know your boundaries get to know who you are as a young woman and what you're going to stand for because you don't have to stand for things that are outside of those boundaries and you don't have to listen to people that aren't there for your best interests and the only way you're going to know if they're not there for your best interests is if you know yourself so continue to do that and ever yeah forever learn who you are preach that thanks Bianca that was a really powerful um thing to end mob talk on so I'm so grateful and happy that you've come on and made the time for us I know a lot of our young girls will be listening to this and that's a whole powerful thing in itself um yeah so I just want to thank you for coming on mob talk and yeah 
And I'm, I'm excited to see what you have to come that we can't hear about. <laughs> yeah, hey. <laughs> no, thank you so much. A ma- massive privilege. Thank you. Thank you.